Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares a practical lesson on how to keep your emotions from ruling your life. Love and choosing to be a loving person, choosing to do right, choosing to be righteous and obedient, it really has nothing to do with how you feel. Sometimes your feelings catch up, sometimes they don't, sometimes it's a total contradiction. But until you learn to do right, even when it feels wrong, you'll never be godly. heard the phrase, fake it till you make it? It means that even if you don't feel a certain way, if you act that way first, the feelings will eventually follow. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares teaches from 2 Samuel chapter 18, where the conflict between David and his son Absalom provides a cautionary tale about following God's will. Even if we don't feel like it, God calls us to respond with obedience. Now here's Pastor Mike with a study titled, When Feelings Are King. We have to, number one, always compare our feelings with God's Word. Always compare our feelings with God's Word. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. If you have an NIV, it reads something like this. For the sinful nature, this is Galatians 5.17. It's translating a little word sarke in the, in the Greek. It's just, it's the word flesh. In reality, when you see this concept of flesh used in the New Testament, it's usually referring to my, my fallen humanity, my, my sinful humanness. And he's saying our, our sinful humanness, our, our fallen humanity, it, and here's, a, here's an emotional word, isn't it? Look at the word, desires. That's a sentient word. That's a word that reflects what I feel. It feels things and pulls me in directions which are contrary to the spirit. That's the author of the Bible, right? The Holy Spirit has a certain plan for my life. And it may be in the case of David to, to, to administer justice in his son's life, but his feelings are, in, contra, are in, in, in conflict with that. They are contrary to the Spirit. And amazingly enough, as if we needed to say it, the Spirit is going to desire what is contrary to my flesh. They are, here's a fun word, in conflict with each other. If you're a Christian, welcome you know, to the war zone. Because in your life, there's this going on. There's a battle. My fallen humanist has impulses and desires and emotions that are going to conflict with the author of the Bible, who, according to the, to the scriptures, lives in me, not spatially, but relationally. He lives in such a tight way with me that when I have a, an impulse and a, and a desire, it's going to fight with that. And the question is, who's going to win? When I know that my kids, for instance, want things, but I know they need things, and my heart says give them what they want, but the word says give them what they need, or when I need to discipline them and I say I can't bear to see Johnny crying because I've disciplined, so you know, I'm torn between God's word and what it says I ought to do and what my heart says I should do, and I have to make the decision. That's so fundamental of the Christian life. And the text says they're in conflict. So that you do not do, look at the bottom of verse 17, what you want. Whatever picture you had of the Christian life, if it, if it included somebody whistling and, and butterflies and, and garden paths and all these wonderful things, that ain't the Christian life. Because you sign up for the Christian life, here's what happens. God invades your life, becomes your new roommate, who wants your life to be increasingly more godly and righteous, which means that all the things that the Bible says are going to be laid on your heart. He is going to start to give you this, this 
this passion and this commitment to do what's right. But here's my emotions and here's my heart and here's my desires that come from my flesh that aren't always right. And I'm going to have to say no. But the only way I'm going to be able to affirm this with some objectiveness is to constantly be looking at the word. Because guess what? The spirit of God that lives in me never contradicts the word that he wrote. And so if I really want to see it in black and white and get it out of the area of the subjective, I get God's word in front of me every day. Just like the king was supposed to write the law on a scroll and keep it with him and read it. We're called, as Joshua 1 says, to keep the word in our mouth and in our minds and meditate on it day and night. And if you do and don't turn from the right or the left, then you'll find success. What's that mean? That if I'm really checking every decision against God's word, my feelings are going to lose a lot of the time. Do sometimes they concur? They do. But often they, there's that word, middle of verse 17, they, that's a good word to circle. They conflict. There's a conflict. There's a battle. There's a problem. That conflict takes place in every area from sexual temptation to greed to pride to raising our kids to governing my heart's desires and my concern and affections toward my wife, toward my children, toward my church, toward my coworkers, toward my employees. All of that is, all of that is, uh, is part of the mix. All of that is the fundamental issue. And the only way I'm going to succeed is if I spend time every morning in God's word affirming what the spirit is going to constantly be reminding me of all day. Here's what God wants. Here's what my desires are. If I feel a certain way, don't move until you check it against the Bible. Because most of us, if we were to peel back all the layers in our life, you could look at the decisions we make throughout the day, and you could probably take most of those and say, I, I base them on what I feel. And God wants us to base them on what is right. And I'm only going to know that if I got the word in my life, and it's part of my daily routine. Let's just take a little side note. Is that a part of your daily routine? Is it? If you're a Christian, it doesn't make sense if it's not. It's got to be. This ain't for pastors and monks and, and you know, weird religious people that can't get a job. You know, this is for people like you who are in the workplace, in the marketplace, leading families and being influential in your communities. It's for you to be sure to sort through what's right and wrong when my emotions scream for one thing and I have to figure out what really God would want me to do. Some people say to me, I don't really feel the battle in, in my Christian life. And I say, well, you're not getting enough of the instruction book in your life then. Because you can't be human and not feel the conflict if you're getting God's instructions clearly articulated every morning into your life. Then you see the battle. Always check your feelings against God's word. Always check your feelings and compare them against the Bible before you make any decisions. If you don't, here's what you're going to be concerned with. Back in our passage, 2 Samuel 18, you'll be concerned with only one thing. Is, is my son Absalom okay? Look at verse 29. Here come the messengers back from the battle, and you might remember the Sunday school story of Absalom getting hung up in a tree by his head. Literally, the word Hebrew word rosh, his head, could mean his hair, but whatever, his hair's there. But his head is stuck in this branch of this oak tree, and he's dangling there, and he's an easy target for Joab and his men, and he gets killed. He's killed. He's killed purposefully because Joab knows no matter what David thinks, we're never going to have peace in this kingdom until this insurrectionist, this rapist, this murderer is dead. And so Joab carries out execution on Absalom. Well, David's waiting for the information in verse 29. Look, when here comes the runner, here comes the messenger back. King's got one question. Not, is my army okay? How did the battle go? Did we win? Here's all he's concerned with. Is the young man Absalom safe? Totally unbridled passion for his son. Next guy comes in who gives him the news. Verse 32, Cushite is asked the same question. Is the young man Absalom safe? Come on, Dave. You got to be concerned. 
with more than that. You've got to have your heart recognizing that though you love your son, you can't have him be safe after this. And he hears the news from the Cushite, who puts it poetically, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up against you be like that young man. And the king was shaken. He knew what that means. Translation, he's dead. And he went up to the room over the gateway and he wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. How pathetic for him to say that about his son. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now I understand the pain. And I'm not saying David shouldn't grieve over the death of his son. Whether it was David carrying out justice in his kingdom or whether God had to step in and do it for him. Either way, I think that David's going to cry at his son's funeral. And I'll give him that. And that is an appropriate emotional response. But much like his love for his son, that emotional response was not bridled. It was not checked against God's word. And when it wasn't, it led to the most fundamental problem we have with our emotions. Look at it in verse number one of chapter 19. Joab was told the king is weeping. He's mourning for Absalom. Okay, I can understand that. Problem is the whole army's victory that day was turned into mourning. They had won. They had protected the king. They had protected God's anointed leader. Because on that day, all the troops heard that, said that the king is grieving for his son. So the men snuck into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. And the king covered his face. He's just concerned about himself and his own pain. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab had just had about enough of this. He said, I understand you're sad because your son had died, but look at him walk in with this terse little dialogue. And he says, you know what? Look, Dave, today you're humiliating all your men. They've just saved your life, darn it. Look at what they've done. They've saved the life of your sons, your daughters, the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you, and you hate those who love you. You've made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you'd be pleased. Notice this. Ouch. If Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. The problem with that statement is, is it's true. And he says, get out there. Go encourage your men. What's he saying? Look at other people, Dave. There are other people in your life. There are people that aren't insurrectionists and murderers and criminals that need your attention and need your compassion and need your emotions to be spent on them. You know what the problem is sometimes with our emotions? They're ours. <laughs> our emotions are ours. My emotions tell me how Mike Favaris feels. That's what my emotions do. Unless I learn and develop something called compassion, my emotions don't ever, ever work for anyone else. They only work for me. Which means when I'm sad, all my emotions are saying is, Mike, you should feel bad. You feel bad right now. Feel bad. And when I'm happy, it says, Mike, you're happy. Feel happy. Feel happy. Because my emotions are mine. And the problem with emotions is it is so easy to ride on our emotions and turn all of our attention into ourselves. And they can isolate us. And they can make us selfish. I put it this way, number two in your outline. Don't let feelings make you selfish. Don't let feelings make you selfish. Or I should say, don't let feelings fuel your selfishness because all of us are bent towards selfishness. The problem is our emotions going to be used to create this myopia in our lives, this, this short-sightedness where all I can see are my feelings. Now again, should David cry when he hears that his son is dead? Yes. But if he cries and wraps himself into the emotions of his own pain and does not see the other people in his life, he's just blown it. Oftentimes I find people love to live in that state because they get everybody in their life looking at them. And it's interesting how often my response to that is to give them some simple assignments. And those simple assignments are turn your attention on other people. Let's just think about other people's feelings for a while. Let's just try and focus on someone else's problem for a while. And you know what? It's amazing what a surefire solution 
to all the depressing, grieving feelings for so many people that that is. That takes them out of this myopia and gets them looking and focusing on other people. And we start to break this cycle of myopia, this short-sightedness, this kind of temptation to see that the world's all about me and the pain that I'm feeling and please some, you know, help. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't get around people and help them. I hate to keep qualifying all this, but I understand there are times we need to say it's your pain and it's big and let's help you. But look at how David has turned his grief into something that has, it has led to the insensitivity of the needs of those around him. And that is wrong. And it's always wrong. And it's never the pattern of scripture. And so David says, or Joab rather says to David, get up, get off your butt, go up there and encourage those guys. They've just risked their lives for you. And you're sitting there grieving over an insurrectionist, a murderer, and all that. I understand he's your son, but my goodness, Dave, there are other people in this world besides you and your son. Don't let your feelings make you selfish. And I don't know, there's a million ways to illustrate this. Think about, uh, think about the, the uh, teenage son. He goes out with his teenage girl. And now he's in this situation where his passions and his desires in that situation are, you know, in conflict with all of his commitments to be who he wants to be. And all that he wants to see, he says he loves this gal, right? And he wants to encourage her. And that's all for her good. I mean, he'd like to do anything to make her life better. And yet the passions in his life can make him so short-sighted that he's willing to rip off her and all of her purity and anything else in her life that might make her a righteous girl by satisfying his own desires. That's not fair. And it's not right. And Joab says to Dave, get up and encourage those guys because they need encouragement right now. And you've got to understand the limits of what your emotions ought to lead you to do. David had to compare his feelings and his affections for his sons against God's word. He had to make sure that his grief, in this case, a negative emotion, didn't impact the people around him negatively. And thirdly, though, the culmination of this whole passage, if you'd look at it in verse number eight, really something in this passage we can be proud of. It says, so the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. Underline that. So the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. Question, did that feel good? Is that what David wanted to do? Was that his heart's desire? Did he feel led to do that? Answer, no, 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 no. But you see, that's what the Christian life's all about. It's getting up when we don't feel like getting up. It is doing when it doesn't feel. There's no motivation behind it. There's, there's no feeling that, that drives me to it. And when the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, guess what? Though there's not a lot of explanation as to what happens, there was obviously some healing. They all came before him and they were encouraged. And actually, Joab probably in that simple recommendation saved David's kingdom. From a human perspective, what was going to happen? What was going to happen if the men didn't recognize that they had saved the king and there was some gratefulness there and there was some reciprocation of some kind of loyalty from the king to the men that had been so loyal to him? And then it says the enemies, in this case, the Israelite armies, had fled to their own homes. Now, you just got to put it this way. There is nothing more fundamental to the Christian life than what David did right there. And that is he didn't wait to feel led. He didn't wait to, to feel peace. He didn't wait for some move in his gut. He just got up and did it. He did it because it was right. Put it down this way in your outline if you're taking notes. Number three, keep doing what's right, even when it feels wrong. You will never be a godly person until you learn to master that simple truth. Keep doing what's right, even when it feels wrong. You know, so often people come into the pastor's offices here or in any church, I'm sure, and they're looking for a way to get what they want and still be right. 
And whether it's a divorce from their spouse, you know, or, or getting out of a loan or whatever it is, they, they want what, what they want and they, you know, they want to they feel right about it, but they want to be right. And, and it's like, I can't help you there. I mean, if you're coming here to find information about what God wants, we're going to try and sort that out. And here's what God wants. I can't make you always feel good about that. I mean, people come in and should I divorce my wife? Well, why? Well, I don't know. I don't feel like I don't feel like I love her anymore. No. Next. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not that hard, <laughs> but that ain't good enough. The meeting, they always expect it to take a lot longer, but there's not much more to say. No, you can't. Now get back in there and, and, and be, a good, be a good spouse. Now, oh, well, I don't feel it. Here's the ultimate verse on love. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he kissed us. Sent us flowers, had a meal together, took us on a vacation. What did he do? Christ died for us. Oh, that feels good. No, that hurts. <laughs> Let's just talk about it in fundamental terms. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't feel love. Neither did he. It doesn't feel good anymore. <laughs> Talk to me about thorns in your brow, you know? It doesn't feel good. Love and choosing to be a loving person, choosing to do right, choosing to be righteous and obedient, it really has nothing to do with how you feel. Sometimes your feelings catch up. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's a total contradiction. But until you learn to do right, even when it feels wrong, you'll never be godly. I mean, think about the prayer in the garden, right? Mark 14, Jesus is there. He's praying, goes beyond the disciples. And he says, you know what? All things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. What's translation? What's that mean? I don't want to do this. Take this cup. God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What's he saying? I don't want to go to the cross. But I love it. Here's the prayer for every Christian. This is what it ought to be every day. Every conflict, every collision between God's will and our feelings. But not my, what? Will. You know what will is? Here's another word for it. Desires. Wants. Not my wants. Not my desires. Not what I'm feeling. Jesus made a commitment. Not what I'm feeling. Not my will. But yours be done. I want to have in my life what you want, not what I want. That's why the Christian life is all about lordship. It's all about discipleship. It's all about following Christ. Because I'm saying I am denying myself. I'm taking up my cross and I'm following him. Could it be any clearer or more succinct than that? It's saying to God, like uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 15, I'm no longer living for myself. What does that mean? My emotions aren't always going to be catered to. Now I'm going to cater to someone else's. Tell me this, did the incarnation feel good? I mean, I don't know what heaven's like, but I'm sure it's pretty nifty if you're if the second person of the Godhead, right? You're sitting around and there are angels singing and lots of neat stuff happening. I mean, I don't know what you get, but you get a lot of great stuff. And there he is in his own recliner in heaven somewhere, right? So you're having a grand time and, and now it's time to go to Bethlehem? I've been there, man. It ain't much. It's dirty. It's dusty. It hadn't changed much. He's born in some cave, traveling all over the place to Egypt, back to Nazareth, all over the place. It's terrible. As a baby, God of the universe would be a baby. Incarnation, did it feel good? No. It wasn't about feelings, though, was it? It's about obedience. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The ultimate bad feeling. And God said, you know what, I'll do that. I'll do it because it's right. I'll do that because my commitment in life is not my desires, not my will, not what I want, not what my emotions say, but your will be done. David got up. He didn't feel like it. He felt like crying. He felt like being in a pity party, but he got up 
and encourage the troops. Yea, Ra, Dave, you, you did something here that provides us a pattern of godliness. I was driving from, the, uh, from Chicago to, to L.A. and uh, driving through some godforsaken freezing cold state. I won't name it because some of you are from there probably, but uh, <laughs> freezing cold, December. We had this patch of uh, black ice. Tried to drive on that stuff. Here we're in the middle of the industry. It was, the road was straight, but it was amazing. It was like the van hit this and just... And we fell into the ditch. Still up on our wheels and all, but we are in this ditch. So I get behind the wheel and I try to get us out of the ditch. And I get out of the ditch. And there's not a lot of snow. Just patches of snow here and there. But on the road for like a mile is nothing but black ice, which is like, you know, Slickville. And I get up this embankment and I get back on the road. And you should have seen it. I wish there was a video camera. Because I got back on the road and I got back and I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. And I went down on the other side. I did that literally five or six times, back and forth and back and forth. You know. Finally, I'm like crawling out, creeping out of the ditch at like one mile per hour. And I'm getting on the road and I'm trying to turn. I mean, my forehead is against the windshield. <laughs> my fingernails are driven deeply into the steering wheel and I'm driving. And I got through about the, the other half mile because I zigzagged on the first half mile and I got down that road. This week, probably today, before the day's over, your emotions are going to want to drag you off the path of righteousness. They just want to drag you into this ditch, and they want to drag you. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes it's like a wind to your back. They just affirm a godly decision. But oftentimes they drag us in the wrong direction. And your challenge is to drive so vigilantly with such concern that every little bump in the steering wheel you're paying so much attention to because your goal is to deny the feelings when they contradict the word and keep focus dead ahead on where you're going. This week, that's your challenge. Don't be like David and let your passions run unbridled because they'll either lead you into the adulterer's bedroom or they'll lead you into some kind of uh, affection-laden passivity toward your children and they'll lead you into all kinds of personal disaster. Keep your focus on Christ. Keep your focus on righteousness. Keep one eyeball in the word of God and say, if my feelings want to contradict it, I'm going to tell them right now they're going to lose because we do what's right even when it feels wrong. You're listening to Focal Point in the conclusion of a study called When Feelings Are King from Pastor Mike Fabares. If you'd like to access the study notes or to listen to the complete message without interruption, go to focalpointradio.org. And when you're online, be sure to sign up for our free weekly email, just go to focalpointradio.org and look for the link that says Weekly Devotionals. Well, for the past several months, we've been studying the life of David, an imperfect man who God used in mighty ways, despite his flaws. And there's no better reminder that God loves us, just as we are, than studying the lives of imperfect people throughout history who have been used by God. When we look back on these stories, they encourage us to press on and trust God, even when it's difficult. That's why this month we're featuring an empowering book written by Dr. George Sweeting called The Pursuit of Excellence. As you read about other believers who have pursued and reached excellence in their lives, you'll be inspired to pursue and fulfill God's calling for your own life. When you make a donation to support Focal Point today, we'll send you a copy of Dr. Sweeting's book as our way of saying thanks. Just call 888 320 5885 
or give online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And remember to ask for the book, The Pursuit of Excellence, when you get in touch. You know, we work hard to make Pastor Mike's teaching available to our listeners in as many formats as we can, but none of it is possible without your generous donations. Now, if you've given to support this ministry in the past, thank you. We truly appreciate you. If you've never contacted us before, please reach out today. When you do, we'll send you a free pamphlet all about knowing God's will. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know you're listening when you call us at 888-320-5885. Well, I'm Dave Drewy inviting you to join us again on Wednesday when Pastor Mike presents a study called How to Forgive, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.